Uh, I have a message of hope for you this morning. Mm. Amen, Ponzi. Uh, it's a message of hope with the weather forecast. So I just need you all to know that our family is deeply invested in the weather and we have been tracking this and we are going to hit above zero this week. So just, I said it to the prayer team this morning, I just really in my heart feel this for you. Hold on for one more day. You can do this and it's getting better. So that's my message of hope this morning for you. <laughs> and on top of Jesus and Jesus. We are in our series, This is the Way. We started it in uh, a few weeks ago. We are working our way th through the book of 1 Peter. Uh, last year, when we were going through the Bible reading plan, when we reached 1 Peter, I remember, I think it was to Pastor Tracy, but I mean, it was most likely her, but I remember being like, I love this book so much. Why don't I read it more? It's so good. So I was really happy when she said that we were going to work our way through it. I don't think I turned to the 1 Peter enough, but I really, really enjoy this, this, uh, this book. It speaks to me quite a bit. So when we were discussing this series, I think Pastor Tracy has mentioned that uh, Peter's writings don't always follow a logical path. They don't always make sense. He tends to meander from thought to thought, here, there, all over the place. And I think that also explains perhaps why I enjoy this book so much, because my brain is not linear. I meander from thought to thought, place to place. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've looked at someone in the eye I'm having a conversation with and been like, yeah, I jumped there and they're not. They didn't jump with me. I got to circle back to figure out how to loop them back into this conversation because my brain went somewhere that theirs did not. Matt basically just ignores me when I do that, and he knows that I'll circle back. Yeah. Uh, Pastor Tracy speaks fluent Aaron, so if you're ever confused, she can circle you right back to how I got there and what I'm saying, so it's no problem. But I think perhaps we've been friends since grade one, so that's what happens. Uh, and we're both girls, so our brains think very similarly. Uh, but I think that's why I love First Peter so much. I can jump with him, and it's no problem. I'm already, I'm with him. My brain is a little bit broken, but Jesus loves me anyways. So in this series, we will have read through the entire book of First Peter, uh, not in order, but instead picking up pieces of like uh, thought and, and putting them together. If you haven't read through the book yet, next week is our last week in the series, I encourage you to read it through for yourself and pick out what is the Lord is speaking to you. In the first week, Pastor Tracy spoke that Jesus is first. That's what we learned about. Last week, in a really exciting message, uh, we learned that we are second and that suffering is a part of life. And uh, it's true. And Trace, Pastor Tracy did a beautiful job with that. Today, we're going to learn that we are the third space. Uh, if you read the email devotional this week, you will have already had a precursor to what the third space is. How many of you are familiar with this concept of the third space? A few of you, not very many. Okay, it was a new concept to me too that Pastor Tracy introduced to me. I think she's secretly jealous that she's not here doing this one because she was really excited about this topic, but she's talking to dolphins right now, so I don't feel too, too bad for her. Uh, I'm going to do my best, though. The third space is a, in sociology. It refers to the social, surra social surroundings that are separate from your usual social environment. So the first space is your home. The second space is work. And so the third space is that other place outside of home and work that you live life. Uh, they are anchors. Third spaces are anchors of community life. They're familiar public places where you go to connect with others that you know and to meet new people that you don't know. Thinking about uh, third spaces took me on a really fun, nostalgic tour of uh, 80s, 90s, early 2000s TV sitcom, because there are a lot of really great examples of third spaces. Uh, so we have Cheers, 
forget that it's a bar and they're there drinking during the day all the time, I don't understand, but where everybody knows your name. You walk into that place, they know your name, you're familiar with it. Uh, you have the coffee shop from Seinfeld, that is a third space. That's where they come, they gather, the waitresses know their name, they know the waitress's name. That's a third space. We have uh, Central Perk from Friends, yes. Again, how are they at a coffee shop in the middle of the day and still have jobs? Anyways, just another thought. And then this is the one that I'm most proud of, and I don't know if any of you are gonna go here with me, but the Peach Pit from 90210. Also, yes, yes, that was a third space. Um, I don't have a modern example from a modern TV show of a third space, because I'm old. And so later, you can tell me one, but I only have these old references. So if you're anywhere in my age category, one or all of these will tweak a memory of your youth, and you will understand the concept of a third space. It's somewhere that you go to build community outside of your home and work. Now, I don't endorse those shows that I just that I just listed, those are in my past, my present is very different, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but there's something about those places and those shows that was meaningful. It's the place where they came to just be, to have community, to have fellowship. Third spaces catch us at our best when we aren't shouldering the trials of work, when we're not thinking about all the piles of laundry to fold, where we've put aside the honeydew list that just keeps growing and growing and growing. They catch us at our best when we're just there. And they also catch us at our worst. They're a safe, sp safe space to come to when we're just struggling, when we're stressed, when we're tired, when we're weary, when we just need to be with people that don't need anything from us. They just want to have a really great conversation and hang out. Third spaces are more important than a really good vacation. They are vital to your overall health and mental well-being. I came across this statement when I was reading about third spaces that a great vacation does not a great life make. And that hit home to me. How many of us live for that next vacation, that next moment away, that next lying on the beach, that next summer vacation where the weather is warm and we can just get out? A great vacation does not a great life make. We can't wait for our next vacation, the next four-day weekend, the next uh, March break, although those are all lovely and beautiful things and I don't begrudge them, any of us. That's not how we can live our life, waiting for that next moment to connect and decompress and, de and pull ourselves together. We need to be living like that every day in community with one another. Third places provide a sense of social connectedness and belonging. They strengthen community and they provide essential services, actually. Access to third places is linked to better mental health and happiness. People that have third places in their life are generally happier people because they have somewhere to be and to belong. And without these community touch points, people feel socially isolated, um, which contributes to mental health issues, uh, anxiety, depression, loneliness, all of those things. When, the, when third spaces don't exist, those things increase. We need a third space in our lives. I won't be telling you something you don't already know when I say that society today is lonely. It's lonely. A lot of people blame the pandemic for that loneliness, but I would say it was lonely well before the pandemic. The pandemic exacerbated an already trend, a trend that already existed. We are lonely, isolated people. We, we've heard this a million times. We are more connected than we've ever been before and more isolated and lonely than we've ever been before. And third spaces, there's some debate, but online third spaces are not the same as real, in-person, face-to-face contact. Even for you introverts in here that would rather be online, 
I, I feel you, I am introverted. Even us need those social connections, those face-to-face. And some of you are sitting here, perhaps, wondering, do I have a third space? Do I have one of those? I have good news for you today. You do. In fact, you are sitting in one today. Churches are the third space. In fact, historically, churches were the third space. It's where the community came to gather, to be, to belong. Churches were the third space. Most people don't have access to a safe third space anymore. Church is not the place that community comes to gather and to be and to do life together anymore. So people are disconnected. When we come to church together, everyone is welcome here. We share each other's burdens, we celebrate, and we become family. The church is a third space because God created us to be part of community, not to be alone, but to be with people. But we're not just any other third space. We're not just a social club. We're not just the Lions Club. We're not uh, your flag football team that meets in the park. We're more than that because we have Jesus. The church as the third space is so much more. We have been given more through our relationship with Jesus, so we have more to offer one another. Not because we're awesome, although all of you are, but because of Christ in us, we have something that links us together in community and that gives us strength to carry one another's burdens that we can't do on our own. Third spaces are very popular in culture right now. They talk about it a lot. There's a men's shed movement moving across Canada where men can just come and be at the shed and gather and have time together. We don't need more men's sheds, although those are lovely. I I have no issue with them. We need more community of Christ. And this isn't a new concept. I think uh, there's a book written in the 80s by a gentleman who really puts forward this concept of the third space, but he didn't come up with this idea. It's not his. Jesus laid it out for us. Peter gives the example of the third space in his writings. In 1 Peter 4, 7 to 11, he says this, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind that you may pray. Above all, Love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. That's the third space that we need. That's the third space that the world needs. Now, if you remember, I said uh, Peter's writings are often, often seem a bit disjointed and unconnected. So if you go back in these, what we just read, this portion of scripture comes after Peter is talking about persecution and putting aside your own desires and not living as unbelievers do. And then all of a sudden he's talking about this. We find ourselves being reminded to stay alert and to love one another. You're going to be persecuted, but love one another. It perhaps seems a bit disjointed, but it actually isn't if you can follow Peter's train of thought and what the Holy Spirit is saying through these scriptures. Peter is telling the church that suffering and persecution is part of life. You're going to face it. Pastor Tracy told us that last week, but it's okay. We're not alone. He is with us. And now he's saying, love one another while you're in the midst of suffering. You need to 
love one another when things are hard. His instruction is that you need to be kind and loving in a community that cares in the midst of suffering because you don't endure suffering individually, you endure it as a community. When you are under stress, you do it together as one. How we act towards one another when we're under pressure is an indication of our faith and it's a showcase to the world of who Jesus is. Don't let the world and your circumstances dictate your actions and your love towards one another. Let the love that Christ has that lives in you compel you to love your brothers and sisters in Christ no matter what your circumstances are. Peter is tying these concepts together because I don't know about you, but for me, it's the hardest to love when I am feeling stressed and overwhelmed. I don't, maybe that's just me. I, my least loving responses to my family, to those closest to me, come when I am feeling pressed upon. Those that know me can attest to this. I don't have enough time. I'm feeling overlooked. I'm feeling unloved. Everything is too hard. I don't have time to make supper. I don't have time to drive you to wherever 12 million sports you need to be at. I don't have time to clean up everybody else's mess. I don't have time to pick up after you. I just, I don't have time for your opinion or your frustrations or your thoughts. I, I don't have time. And in those moments, my response is not Christ-like. It's the thing I'm probably most ashamed of in my life in those moments with my family, is my responses then. Relationships become frayed and tested when difficulties arise because we forget that we are called to love one another, not based on how we're feeling in that moment, but based on who Jesus is every single moment of the day. The early church that Peter's writing to, they were under enormous stress and pressure and difficulty. So how were they responding to one another? Were they infighting? Were they arguing? Were they finding fault with each other? Or were they building a loving community to carry one another through all the difficult times? We're not facing deep persecution like the early church, but we live under a weight of stress and expectation and weight. What is our response in those moments? Love each other with great effort because Satan would see us divided, divided over all the things. In your family, he would see you divided amongst spouses and children. In the church, he would see us divided over things that just really don't matter because that's what he wants. Satan wants a divided church. He wants divided families because when we are divided, we are not focused on Christ and doing all that he has called us to do. In those moments when we start focusing on all that is hard and difficult and, and other about each other, we have taken our eyes off Christ. We've put ourselves first, and we're not moving in the spirit. Our witness to those outside the church is tarnished because in fighting, who wants to come to a church where everyone's mad at each other? I certainly don't. And then Satan has a temporary hold and victory over us. What should be a third space that is beautiful, full of love, representing the love of Christ. The opportunity for conflict exists in every breath and every day. I think we know that. When someone gives you the wrong coffee order at Tim Hortons or McDonald's, <laughs> your opportunity to be angry is right there. But instead, put on love. And more so, this instruction is specifically within the church. Peter's not talking about how we respond to the outside world. He is specifically talking about how we love each other within the body of Christ. We read here that love covers a multitude of sins. How many times have you guys heard that verse? 
I, I'm willing to bet that at least once in your life it has been used out of context, either out of your own mouth or to you. We use this verse as an excuse to live our lives however we want. It's okay. Love covers a multitude of sins. It's okay. Live in sin. Love covers a multitude of sins. It's okay. That was a white lie because love covers a multitude of sins. You did it out of love. You didn't want to hurt that person's feelings, so you just you told that little white lie. It's okay. This verse is used all the time out of context. It's, it's used to say that sin is okay as long as the driving force behind it is love. That's actually not what this verse is saying here. It doesn't, it's script, or people would tell you that it doesn't matter how you live your life or what choices you make because we serve a loving God and his love covers it all. And that is true. They have just a, they have just a little bit of the truth mixed in with a whole bunch of lies in, in those thoughts. We do serve a loving God and through his death and resurrection and his love demonstrated for us on the cross, all of my sins are covered and forgiven and I am made right with Christ when I confess and repent and lay down everything before Jesus and allow my life to be transformed. This verse isn't saying that everything is permissible. It's saying, love one another. Because when you love one another, you take your eyes off yourself and you don't focus on your differences. You focus on your similarities. You focus on the fact that we all love Jesus. We are all striving to live for him. We are all focused on him. What I believe this verse is saying is that a community that loves one another can forgive one another more rapidly when minor issues come up and they're a place where they can support each other. I think... Peter, I think this because Peter's writing to a church that probably was struggling with the weight of everything they were facing and they were starting to infight a little bit with each other. The Greek word for, the, for love deeply here is translated to earnestly, without seeking, unfailing. This is a love that isn't passive. It isn't something that just happens. It's a love that comes with great effort, actively loving one another, looking for reasons for agreement, commitment to our bonds in Christ. This is just true. In a room this size, we all have different opinions. We all have different thoughts. We all have different preferences. We have different styles. But we have centrality, and that is what matters. Who Jesus is, what he's done for us, what the Holy Spirit has done for us. That is the focus and our preferences are things that make us beautiful in the body of Christ. We don't all have to think exactly the same. We don't all have to like exactly the same things. We don't have to like ministries in the same way. Or some of you, I'm just going to call it out here, some of you hate when you walk in here and there are round tables set up and you have to sit with people you don't know. You're giggling because I know it's true. And if you knew ahead of time, you might not even come to church that week. You can tell me I'm wrong and I will say, no, I am not. Thank you very much. <laughs> That's a preference that you don't prefer, but that doesn't change who you are in Christ. It doesn't change that this is the body of believers. And in fact, I would say to you, for one week, you can put aside that preference and come and be with the body and maybe sit with someone you don't know and start a conversation. And yes, I know we're introverted. And yes, I know that's hard. And yes, I would rather sit in a row of pews and not with somebody I don't know. But Jesus has called me to love people and to put aside my own preference for the body. And I will do that over and over again. And sometimes I'm going to get it really wrong. And I'm going to repent and ask for forgiveness and try to do better next time when I put my own preferences above other people's when it doesn't matter. Because so much of it 
really, it doesn't matter. Does it matter if you really dislike acoustic weeks or if the drums were too loud? No. It matters that we came and gathered together with the body of Christ and encouraged one another and loved one another and served one another. Love and maturity in the body of Christ allows grace for others' preferences. Proverbs 10, 12 says that hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. When you find yourself easily taking offense to someone or assuming someone has said something against you, how many of us have done that? There's a short word, or someone said something, or they did something, and you assume, that person doesn't like me, or maybe, maybe none of you are as insecure as me. That's just fine. Or you assume, oh, that person doesn't like me, or they did that because they know I don't like that, so they did that on purpose. Can I say to you, probably not? Probably not. Maybe they're having an off day, or maybe this is just their preference and they didn't think that this wouldn't be yours. Sometimes we spend too much time reading into the underlying and we don't give grace for other people that we would want to have on our own. When you feel those moments of conflict or contention, I would invite you to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Lord, am I reading into something that's not there? Could you give me clarity on this so that I can respond properly? Lord, do I need to go talk to that person? Did I offend them? Or can I let love cover a multitude of sins and not pick that up and carry it. Because honestly, it's exhausting carrying all of those offenses and all of those hurts when we can just lay it before Jesus and not carry that with us. Ask the Lord for love when you don't have any. Not everybody in the body of Christ is going to be your best friend and the person you want to hang out with on Friday nights. That's okay. But you love them well. You love them as Christ loves them. And when you don't feel it, you ask God for an overwhelming outpouring of love for that person. Now, I'm not suggesting that we sweep things under the rug. I'm not suggesting we ignore conflict or turn a blind eye to sin. That is not what I'm saying here at all. I'm asking us to focus on the important things and let go of all that doesn't matter. That should be the difference between us and every other third space that exists. That we are able to just love each other well and welcome our differences in unity in Christ. Earnest love, like we're instructed to have, seeks the good of others before our own good. And it finds practical expression of that through hospitality and using your gifts to serve others. How many of you um, cringe a little bit She's going to ask me to have people over for lunch. Maybe I really project my own issues onto all of you, but I have the microphone, so you just have to deal with it. Some of you just cringe at the thought of having to do hospitality. It's just true, and that's okay. That's okay. We have a bit of a closed view of what hospitality means. It does mean having people into your home or going over to other people's homes or meeting at a restaurant. It does mean sharing meals with people. There is example time and time again in scripture about breaking bread together and sharing meals. Hospitality is over food is central to community. But that's not all it is. Hospitality is so much more than that. Don't get hung up on the one thing that terrifies you. It's so much more. Hospitality is welcoming strangers. It's opening your heart to those who are different than you. 
Hospitality is sharing resources. You have something that someone needs. You have a skill that someone needs help with. It's doing that together. It's meeting a need when you can and walking with someone when they need help. Hospitality is reaching out and looking for those who are disconnected, those who come into church and don't have a community, they don't have someone to talk to. It's looking for those people and making the effort, even when you're introverted yourself, to go and find that person and connect with them and welcome them into the conversation. Hospitality is engaging in conversation. It's listening. It's empathizing. It's showing genuine interest in people's lives. I don't think many of you care about my kids' sports activities, but you listen to me with deep interest, and I thank you for it. That's doing life together listening to what people's kids are doing, what their grandkids are doing, what's going on at their job, what community sport event that they've joined. Being part of the body of Christ, engaging in conversation. It is praying for people. I heard you were going through something really hard. I'm praying for you. Can I pray with you right now? Support one another. Create a welcoming environment. Open your home. Open your row in church so that someone new can sit with you. That's a, I would... This is not my notes, so perhaps this is wrong. I would say that church, hospitality and church might be sitting in the middle of the row to allow room for other people to come in. I'm just, I'm just, host team, host team, yes, yeah. Those of you that are always like, could you just scooch down a little bit to make room? I'm just going to throw that out there. Church hospitality might be sitting in the middle of the row. That's just, you, you ponder that in your own heart. Also, I like the NC, whatever, it's fine. <laughs> Hospitality isn't a formal program that we run, although we do serve coffee on Sunday mornings. The church is not a social club. We are not your party conveners. We are a place for you to come, to focus on Christ, and to build real and meaningful relationships. We provide opportunities for you to gather and to come, but it is on you to build relationships and friendships and to grow that community. We can't make anybody be friends. That's like trying to make kids on the playground play together that hate each other. That's not what the church is. We provide the atmosphere and the environment and you put in the effort. You go above and beyond Sunday mornings. You go above and beyond small groups. You build that loving community. We grow together and we build foundations together. Hospitality comes in the in-between moments. Before church starts, in the greeting time, after church starts. Those are the moments when hospitality takes place, when you talk to people and you get to know them. When you invite someone over, when you send a text message saying, hey, I'm just checking in on you. How's your week going? I, I, did I hear you say at church on Sunday that you have this big meeting coming up? How'd it go? That's hospitality and community. When we center our lives around Christ, we have this amazing ability to care about people outside of ourselves. And that should set us apart from every other third space that exists in the world. Be willing to open your life to people and walk with them. That is how we become like Jesus. That is how we follow him. To truly engage in the body of Christ and reap all of its benefits, you have to choose to engage in it. Hospitality and community and come, come when you involve yourself in the hum of church life. Do you, do you feel it? There's a hum. There's a rhythm. There's a movement to church life when you're together. And you become connected when you allow yourself to become part of that hum. Do you feel disconnected? Join a group. Jo join a group. We have so many great ones that are starting. Pick anyone, honestly. They're all great. It doesn't really matter. Join a group. Commit yourself to eight weeks. I'm going to leave my house on this night, and I'm going to go talk to people, and it's going to be great. And I 
challenge you to come and tell me after the end of eight weeks if you don't feel more connected here, if you don't know more faces, if you have somebody to talk to on Sunday mornings when you feel disconnected before. Youth, if, are there any youth in the room? Come to youth group. That is a third space. Come. Let Pastor Ethan and his team bless you. Get connected. Most of you don't go to school with people that follow Jesus. You need to come on Friday nights and connect with those that love Jesus and are walking through the same things as you. Come to youth. Young adults, go to young adults. Same thing. You don't work with people that love Jesus. You don't go to school with people that love Jesus. Go and get fed and filled and do life with each other. Make it a priority in your life. You will not regret it. Jesus himself relied on hospitality. It wasn't just Peter in the early church. Jesus showed hospitality and he relied on hospitality. It's a two-way street. He, homes were open to Jesus and he invited people in. Communion that we celebrate once a month was an act of hospitality. Jesus broke bread, invited people to the table, and was with them. If Jesus needed community, who are we to say that we don't? We do. To offer hospitality, you have to also be ready to serve. We read that in that scripture. You have to, serving and hospitality go hand in hand. The NIV Bible commentary said this about these verses, which it just struck me. Loving one another enables you to put up with others. I love that so much. Instigates hospitality and means using one's gift to help other people. Earnest love finds itself in the expression and the use of our spiritual gifts, not for our own benefit, for, but for the benefit of others. Everyone brings something to the table. God has uniquely gifted each and every one of you. You can go to 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 to better understand the gifts of the Spirit. We're not going to jump into that today. But the assumption here that Peter is writing with is that you all bring something to the table to offer one another. And when we all use those gifts, we thrive in community. You have been gifted by God, and the only rule for those gifts is that you use it joyfully to glorify God and to serve others. We keep going in 1 Peter chapter 5, and we read more instructions on how to serve. 1 Peter excuse me, 5, 1-7 says, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering, who also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. Not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders, all of you, Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes, opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he might lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. This scripture is often um, inter uh, interpreted for pastors and ministry leaders and deacons and elders. This is the instruction that's given to pastors. The concepts here don't begin and end with Pastor Tracy. They show us how to serve each other according to Christ. We recognize that nothing in this church and nothing in this ministry belongs to us. It all belongs to Jesus. No parking spot, no seat, no anything. Not even our favorite mugs, those of us that work here, not even our favorite mugs in the drawer belong to us. But yet it is all 
belongs to Jesus. We serve each other through hospitality, through formal acts of service, not to see what we can get, but what we can give with open hands to serve. We serve with joy, not out of obligation. It is a joy to belong to the body of Christ, and that joy should be our motivation to serve others. We learn from those that are older. I, I, can't, get over, I can't focus on this one enough. I don't know everything. The older I get, the more I realize the least I know. And I need those that are older and further along in the faith to speak into my life. And also, we don't discount those, are, those that are younger because the entire body, when working together, brings wholeness. And Peter ends these instructions with a call to humility. Everything we do, we serve with humility. Understanding that your gift is not better, you are not better, you don't serve better, you're not called better. We are all bringing what God has gifted us to the table for his purposes. As we follow Jesus with humility and gratitude for all he's done, we recognize that this third space is more than something we show up to. It's something that we live. The church isn't just a third space. The church is the third space. The body of Christ is the third space. Christ is the head of the church, and we are the body. Ephesians 1, says, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Jesus is the head of the church, and we are the body. We aren't just a third space that we attend. We are the, the breath of Christ in you is the third space. We are the community. We are the church. Carrie Newhoff writes this, you don't attend church, you are the church. Spiritual maturity, after all, isn't about how much you know, it's about how much you love. And love that doesn't flow out into the lives of other people isn't love. We shouldn't be ignorant. Scripture commands us to ask for wisdom. We should have wisdom. We should understand. But if it doesn't come with love, it's empty and hollow. We are the church. We are the body. We are the third space. It's a tremendous gift. Third spaces are where you connect with people and you meet people you would never have the opportunity to meet otherwise, and that is the church. Many of you in this room I call friends, I call family. I don't intersect with you outside of this place weekly. I wouldn't have met you if we didn't share this faith in Christ and come to this place and that's the beauty of this place. We all come with different backgrounds, different histories, but yet we are all one. This is family. Whenever I meet a new person or I have the opportunity to connect with someone who has come to our church, I always want them to feel a sense of family and connection. You belong to us. Come. Come messy. Come broken. Just come. You are part of us. And the beauty of this place where we are connected is that next week, hopefully, Someone new will come through the door and we get the opportunity to connect with them and welcome them in again. Uh, church is like a preschool playroom. There is always room for one more. Pastor Ethan next week is going to talk about being outside of the four walls of the church. But before we go outside, we have to be healthy within. We have to love each other well within. We should be known by our love. Our community should be a beautiful representation of Christ that draws others in. And when they walk through these doors, they don't feel other. They just feel welcomed. 
I want to end today by reading Romans 12, 9 to 18. The heading in my Bible says, love in action. So it says this, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. This is love for the body. It's a long list. There's a lot of things in there. But you aren't asked to live that way on your own. Through the power of the Holy Spirit that lives on you, you are enabled to love each other well. And can I say, I find this to be a very loving and welcoming space. My Bible study commentary said this about these verses in Romans. God calls us to be God calls us to genuine love that goes far beyond pretense and politeness. Genuine love requires concentration and effort. It means helping others become better people. It demands our time, money, and personal involvement. No individual has the capacity to express love to a whole community, but the body of Christ in your town does. Look for people who need your love and look for ways you and your fellow believers can love your community like Jesus. Next week, we're going to talk about loving our broader community, and I know that's what he's talking about here, but I challenge you today, how can you love the community, and the body of Christ like Jesus does. You alone can't ev love everyone in this room, but together, when we use our gifts, when we serve one another, we create an environment where everyone is welcome, loved, and pointed to Jesus. This week, ask the Lord to search your heart for offenses that you're carrying against your brothers and sisters in Christ. Ask for how you can show hospitality beyond your own abilities if you already are hospitable, ask God what's next for you. We don't stay where we are. We're always asking for what's next. Maybe you're really great at one area of hospitality, but you could grow in this. Ask the Lord for that. And ask the Lord how you can serve the body. I could give you a list of places formally here in the church we could use you. Youth leaders. We need some youth leaders. But it's more than that. Serve formally within the body, but also serve one another. Bring a meal. Offer a prayer. Lend your skills and talents to help other people. Serve one another. Surrender your gifts and talents and your time and ask Jesus, how can you use me to create a community that looks like you? That's what our third space is. That's the community we're creating here. I went into Pastor Tracy. I'm like, listen, I'm not going to have music at the end this week. That's weird, but I'm not going to do it. She's like, I don't care. I'm like, I know, but it's weird and awkward, and I, I just, but I just want to close today in the quietness of the moment, and I want to ask the Holy Spirit to come and speak to us without all the other, because frankly, if there was no musicians, there was no music, there was no coffee. 
we are still called to come and gather here as a community of believers, not for what the church has to offer us, but what we have to offer each other. And so I'm going to close today. We're a little bit early. I did something similar to this in the summer. If you were with me, I, I, the Lord must be trying to teach me something because I've been assigned two messages on hospitality and community. So that's great. <laughs> that's for me. I'm, gonna, I'm working through that. But I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and to speak to us. And then I'm going to invite you to chat, to get to know your neighbors, to have some coffee, just to take a moment. This isn't the be-all and end-all of hospitality and community and serving, but for some of us, it's a starting place, and that's what we're, we need to do. So would you stand with me as we close this morning? If you're comfortable, just extend your hands out in a, in a posture of surrender, and we say together, Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you infuse us with your love for other believers? Would you teach us what it means to love each other well? Would you point out areas in our lives where we're holding offense or we're tempted to hold offense? And would you teach us to love like you love? Would you call us forward in hospitality and show us how we can show hospitality to others? And would you call us to serve? Lord, for those that are you already have a specific role in mind. Would you speak to them, God? Would you fill the needs of the church? And for the rest, Lord, would you specifically teach us how to serve one another at sacrifice to ourselves, Lord God? Holy Spirit, we ask that we would be a place and a community where others are welcomed because we deeply love one another. We thank you for the opportunity to come. We thank you for a body of Christ. We thank you for this church, Lord God. Would you go with us this week, Lord? And would you unite us in unity of heart and in spirit? In your name we pray. Amen.